Hello, welcome to another episode of the Capital Employed Podcast. Joining me in conversation for this episode was Michael Crawford from Chawton Global Investors. In this episode, Michael provides an overview of the TB Chawton Global Equity Income Fund. He also walks us through his thesis for investing in two companies, which he thinks can keep on compounding away for many years to come. I really enjoyed listening to him and I think you will too. Before we jump into this episode, do make sure to add your email to the Capital Employed email list. We will be publishing some exclusive interviews that will only be available to those on the list. To receive these bonus episodes, please visit capitalemployed.fm forward slash exclusive and add your email to the list. Also, if you are listening to this podcast on the Apple Podcast app and have a spare 45 seconds, it would be really appreciated if you could leave a review as it helps us spread the word and the feedback is very useful too. Okay, on with today's episode. Please enjoy my conversation with Michael. Hi Michael, uh, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Uh, hello John and uh, thank you very much for, for inviting me. Can you provide an overview of the Chawton Global Equity Income Fund? What, what's the objective and the investment style? The fund is the uh, TB Chawton Global Equity Income Fund, which is a uh, U6 OIC. The overall objective for the fund is to both compound the growth of income and capital. The fund was launched in May uh, 2019 and is actually a global equity fund. And it's invested in around 35 uh, corporate groups. So it's a concentrated fund. We have competitive fees, which reflect uh, our quite lean cost base. Uh, and also as a, as a, lo- a, lo- a long-term um, philosophy that we have, which I'll describe, uh, the fund has low turnover, which also limits the, the costs for investors. Uh, t- turning to the philosophy, uh, it's uh, Warren Buffett was a, a big influence uh, in my career, and especially early on. Therefore, uh, the what we try and do in the fund is identify and invest in long-term sustainable businesses, much, much as he has through his career. We have sort of five pillars that drive our philosophy. Firstly, we look to invest in companies that achieve high and sustainable returns on current capital investing. But we also look for companies that where they also have opportunities to reinvest capital generated with also with the uh, high probability of achieving high returns on this incremental capital. We're particularly uh, keen that there's an alignment of interest between ourselves and our our investors uh, and the company uh, and the the sort of power brokers behind the company. And we want to really feel like we are an owner of that company and act like that. We also, as I said, we're looking for sustainability in these businesses. And so we have certain criteria that we believe contributes to that over the long term. Financial leverage is is a key risk. So we look for companies with particularly low financial leverage. And also we're looking for companies where there is a sort of culture of integrity, of high integrity, and that's often reflected in 
their attitude to uh, sustainability, but but also the way they treat their various stakeholders, the customers, suppliers, uh, etc., uh, making sure that value is appropriately shared. And finally, we we also are uh, focused on valuation. We also consider the margin of safety when we buy a company. We will estimate the value of a company. We want to see that we're not overpaying. But, but we also look at the potential of the company. We want to try and make sure that there is a pathway for the company to uh, drive value over time. This philosophy has contributed to a good performance uh, since launch. Uh, we, we are actually first quartile in our, our sector, IA sector, up around about 30% since that May 19 date. Uh, and, and also within that return figure, we distributed about 4p in, in dividends, referencing that off 100p uh, opening, opening offer, offer share price. And the fund was, has been stress tested early in its existence, obviously, through COVID. Uh, and we, we came through COVID well. As I said, we our companies tend to have strong balance sheets. Often they will have low volatility growth staples and so forth and, and good yields. So we own, for example, Nestle and Johnson & Johnson uh, in that sort of area. But also we do look, as I said, for, for good growth uh, companies with growth as well. Uh, so, for example, we have Microsoft and Netflix. So if we, if we can jump into your portfolio, can you talk us through two companies that you feel have a good long-term potential and what was the thesis for investing in them? Yes. Um, in, in fact, we, we like to think about our portfolio in, uh, as two sort of large segments, um, and I'll, I'll talk about one, one from each. Um, the first is uh, what we sort of call our income generators. And these are companies that tend to distribute a higher proportion of their earnings as they don't need so much capital uh, to grow. And a good example of this is the, a company called Geberit, which is a, a Swiss-based industrial that supplies uh, behind-the-wall bathroom plumbing uh, products piping products and bathroom systems. You, you often see their brand in Swiss hotels. They have, um, I believe, competitive advantage through a number of aspects. What well, One is they, they are very innovative in their engineering. They use modern materials. They, they're innovative in design. And in particular, particularly they look for mechanisms of installation of their product and make it very easy for installers to to put this product into buildings. There's also a a sort of design aspect. Um, I I would classify their products as very sort of a sort of premium end of the market. So that this is all translated into a long-term track record of high return on invested capital. Now they, they actually market to the, as I said, the installers and architects uh, more than the ultimate end user of a bathroom. And what they actually offer for, for these sort of gatekeepers is that they can, through, through this ease of installation and simplicity and also the reliability of their product, they save time, which translates into greater margin for these installers. So that proves a very uh, attractive dynamic. 
they are the, the dominant provider in Germany and Switzerland. Uh, and now they're sort of expanding through the rest of Europe and into Asia. And they do have a small presence in the US as well, where they have the very high-end uh, product there. So there's ample opportunity for the company to invest incremental capital at high returns or, on investment. The, the company has a, uh, I regard it as a very unique culture of sort of modesty, integrity, and sort of typical Swiss engineer, engineering excellence. Uh, and this has really been developed through a series of sort of influential chief executives and a really excellent board of directors. So the incentivization is very aligned with, with us as long-term investors. It's very focused on return on investor capital in both the short, medium, and long-term. And it rewards sort of steady growth, but it, which is also value-creating. So overall, Gabriel, it doesn't, doesn't actually require a huge amount of capital to generate its growth. So the company tends to distribute a high proportion of its earnings uh, and yields um, well over 2%. And I, I expect, I anticipate this company to probably double over the next 10 years. The second example, which is in, in the segment of the portfolio, which is more growth focused, is an example where, and in such cases, the company typically, because it has more projects to invest in, will retain a greater proportion of its earnings and therefore distribute less. An example of this sort of company is Progressive Corporation, which is the third largest uh, automobile insurer in the United States, and it was founded in 1937. The company has competitive advantage through cost efficiency. It has a very lean cost base. And also through its profitable underwriting, uh, where it has a very good track record. But they're also known as a, an innovator within their industry. And in particular, they've deployed uh, telematic te- technology uh, to assess the capability of drivers, uh, which then feeds into their premium. So they, they actually... Are, are very good value if you're a conservative driver in the US. The, these advantages are, are translated into a extended track record of high return on equity of around 20%, but also uh, a past growth over the last decade uh, and even longer. Their, their distribution model is omnichannel, but they make very good use of the of the internet uh, for distribution, which is also um, cost effective. They have developed close relationships with companies like Uber and Tesla as well. The common factor here being that both those companies are very interested in the collection of data on driving uh, to help price insurance. They think that's a way forward. And Progressive has been a a partner for these companies in that to that end. There is ample opportunity, I believe, for the company to invest capital and grow the business at similarly high return on equity. Warren Buffett actually commented in um, his recent uh, AGM on um, complimenting Progressive on that, the quality of their underwriting and market share growth. He, he is actually a competitor to them with his Geico operation. Uh, the final point is that, again, with, in terms of alignment of interest, 
Uh, I think this is really, the company ha have a, an excellent culture of long-termism and it's demonstrated through the, the way they approach their dividend. Although, as I've said, they tend to not pay out a, a huge amount of their earnings as a dividend. Every four or five years, they will actually pay a, a special dividend if they if they've built up a level of surplus cash to warrant this. And in fact, in 2020, when we had a very low claims environment uh, for, for obvious reasons, they did declare a special of $4.90 um, a share, which translated into about a, a sort of one-off 5% yield. Again, I think this company has excellent long-term prospects. Okay, thanks for sharing those two. Just out of interest, how would you deal with a situation of um, one of your companies that you've invested in starts cutting their dividend? Well, I, um, I'm actually sort of very open to considering that in more depth because uh, perhaps as illustrated with, with the example of uh, Progressive, um, I think it's vital that the management of a company actually does the right thing. As I say, if there are opportunities to, to invest capital at high returns on capital, my view is that that should warrant a, a cut in, in the dividend. Equally, if, if the company has had a, some shorter-term issues, as, as we saw with COVID, uh, again, I think it's the right thing to, to act conservatively and cut the dividend. We, but we did have a few companies in our portfolio who, who did that as I say, and we supported that. You've mentioned um, Warren Buffett a few times. Is there a person that you have met or followed or even a book you've read that has made you a, a better investor? Uh, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger are, are uh, great uh, influences uh, on me. But another book I think which is really important for, for all investors to consider is a book by Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Slow which I think is very relevant currently. Up until Kahneman's work and, and indeed this book, um, you know, economic theory centred, is really based about around rational behaviour, that, that everyone acted rationally. And he, he proved through a number of sort of hypotheses and experiments which are described in this book, that this is actually anything but the case, that people have inherent biases uh, and often act irrationally. Uh, and a, a few examples that, that are particularly sort of um, forceful, I think. Um, but firstly, I, there is a tendency for, for, for people to, to believe what they've been most recently told, especially if that's been told in a very authoritative manner. They would accept that without, without challenge. And I think this is relevant today as, as we see sort of many stocks and other assets um, being propelled by convincing narrative. For example, we hear about sort of genomics being perhaps very challenging for the healthcare industry and blockchain being very challenging for the financials industry. And I suspect the truth is actually uh, much more nuanced and much more sort of in the middle but, but as I said, that, that seems to be a sort of heuristic that many investors are operating on, on at the moment. People also have, a, have an inclination to come to a, uh, a quick, intuitive decision rather than consider detailed facts rationally. 
a good illustration of this is that very few investors will ever actually look at an annual report, but will accept um, an argument that simplifies the investment case. And I think the whole sort of current SPAC, special acquisition vehicle phenomena, is is an illustration of this. Another example is anchoring off recent the recent past, and particularly sort of recent numbers. And, and again, I think this is where valuations can get um, out, out of uh, kilter with the underlying value, underlying economics of a company. We regularly see at the moment that a ten times revenue figure is a, an acceptable valuation for a disruptive company, and with, without people really thinking what that implies in terms of what that company has generated in profit. So, um, yeah, so that, those, I think, um, I think the book has many, many more examples, but it, it really, um, it's really important, I think, because it helps you when, when you're thinking about the companies you invest in and what you might, companies you may invest in, not to get too influenced by what the share price does, what the current narrative is, but to really go, go into depth and look at the underlying fundamentals. Thanks for sharing that book. It's a, it's a book I've heard many people mention. Uh, so where can listeners go to find out more about uh, you and your fund? Yeah, so, so the, the best uh, source um, of further information is our website, which is at uh, uk. And on, on the website, uh, we set out our uh, philosophy, which I've, I've touched on, details of the fund and how you can buy it. It also has uh, a number of articles that both which I, I have written and other articles that have been published in the media uh, and also actually has a link to a TV interview. We, we also have pages on LinkedIn and Facebook. Uh, and in fact, we're just launching a, a YouTube channel as well. All of these under uh, Chorton Global Investors. Oh, that's great. Okay, Michael, thank, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. It's been a pleasure to listen to you. Um, thank you, John, and uh, thank you very much for sparing the time.